You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. So today I'm joined by um, Alexander, Akalash, Stina and Simon. And of course, we're going to be discussing key skills needed for production management. So before we go ahead and delve deeper into the actual questions, I'll go ahead and kick off um, with some introductions. So if Alex, if you'd like to start off, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thanks for Thanks for uh, having us and having me. Uh, so I'm Alex. I'm VP of product at uh, Hedvig, which is a Series B stage uh, in Shortech based in Stockholm. Uh, we're currently uh, operating in uh, in the Sweden, uh, Norway, and Denmark, um, and uh, we are around 100 people. Uh, I joined the company at the seed stage when we were uh, five people uh, about four years ago. So uh, it's been a Tremendous uh, growth ride uh, from the get-go, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun building building up the product and and the product organization at uh, Hedvig. Uh, prior to Hedvig, I spent four years at iSettle. Um, so, uh, as as where Akilesh is right now, and um, as a product manager for a couple of uh, different teams. Nice. Thank you very much for that introduction, Alex. Um, Akilesh, if you'd like to go next. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Akhilesh. Um, I work as a product director in Zettel. Um, Zettel is uh, essentially a card processor or it uh, accepts card, um, card payments for SMB merchants, um, essentially in offline uh, space, which is like retail. We um, I've been here for almost a year now. I've done product all my life, as long as I remember. Um, yeah, and at Zettel, what I'm doing is essentially responsible for creating AHA movements for merchants. So from sign up to creating their AHA movements is what I'm accountable for. Um, and uh, some other things which we are driving is uh, integration of Zettel into PayPal. Zettel uh, was acquired by PayPal in 2018, and we are driving the integration between um, um, PayPal and Settle. So that's what I'm responsible and accountable for. Yeah, and that's short and sweet. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Thank you very much for that introduction. If Stina, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be lovely. Yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Stina. I am currently lead PM at Labster. Uh, it's an education technology company that helps uh, assign students and teachers learn how to um, learn basic STEM classes. Um, so you don't have to have a million dollar lab essentially in your school. Uh, so we create three virtual lab simulations. Um, and then I also teach what I do at a, a 10 week intro class to folks who are looking to transition into product management, mainly working in strategy and sort of discovery foundations that don't get an actual squad. Um, but this has taken me all over the world from when I was in New York to also briefly in the Middle East. And then now in Europe, sometimes I do the remote classes. Um, and at Labster, my focus is on building a new content creation platform that is going to help us scale to different types of content creators or potentially even the current use cases that we serve. Um, we are based globally. We have offices in Copenhagen, Zurich, uh, Bali. We used to do onboarding in Bali. We do not do that anymore as much, but <laughs> that's a fun perk. Um, and, uh, and Valencia, uh, as well as Boston. So super happy to be here. Um, and then my background is in startups, uh, most recently before Labster at Clio and another smaller physical product, non-software empirical, um, and also in large media companies like CNN and EXO uh, Group and different ones in New York. So. Wow, thank you very much for that yeah. introduction. Love that. And Simon, last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. You bet. Um... Thanks for, for having me and lovely to be here. Uh, my name is Simon and I'm the Chief Product Officer here at Pantry, which is a small uh, seed stage uh, startup. We work with in food tech out of Copenhagen. We're currently building a business-to-business -business marketplace for sustainable and innovative food products. We're kind of trying to uh, disrupt how the delivery of food products work. Um, to cut out the middleman. So it's a classic uh, disruption move with a marketplace. Um, and here at Pantry, I'm building up the product team. So I'm uh, heading up the, 
developers and designers uh, that we have on the, the product team here. Um, before I came to Pantry, I've been here uh, about a year. I actually came from insurance. Uh, I was at uh, Almedli Brand, which is Denmark currently second largest uh, insurance company where I was building the self-service app for their customers for iOS, Android and the web uh, and worked uh, quite a bit also on the general platform strategy for the entire company. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, right now uh, at, uh, at Pantry, we are working on uh, basically scaling the company and uh, yeah, I'm just looking very much forward to this to this talk. Nice, me too as well. I think we've definitely got some very interesting companies that are um, on the podcast today. So I think it's definitely uh, time to move on to some of the podcast questions then as well. So um, now we've all established a bit of uh, context behind um, each of um, what you do. It's I'll move on to the questions now. So I know that each of you have brought sort of a question um, along the topic of key skills needed for product management. Um, so what I'll do then I'll sort of move around the room and each um, ask each one of you to sort of pose your question your reason behind it um, and then I'll let everybody sort of jump in and um, discuss the topic as well and um, so if Alex if you'd like to go first with with your question or sub question that'd be great yeah absolutely um, th this is a topic that's very uh, uh, dear to me uh, I think uh, uh, it's been it's been something that has been a red thread throughout my my professional life, and it's uh, on the topic of communication. Um, I think we we all uh, we all see ourselves as uh, storytellers, as product people. Um, it's uh, everything from uh, kind of uh, telling a story about a problem that we're seeing or, or observing, um, or um, you know, getting the organization or the team on board on why we're doing this specific thing or why these targets are the ones that we should be working with right now. Um, so, so my question is around um, uh, as as product people and as product managers, um, um, how uh, how do you uh, kind of alter your communication style uh, in different situations depending on what you're who you're addressing and what you're trying to achieve? That's a big one. I think I, uh, I really love the, the question, but I think I could at least uh, chime a little bit in on, on that one. Um, I think really good question. I see also the, the it started all the brains of everyone else here. Um, for me, personally, one thing I that helped me a lot, especially when I was in uh, El Mundibrand, which is a large organization or larger uh, with 2000 people. Um, I had training in facilitation of meetings and uh, mm. creating progress in general uh, meetings and events and with group of groups of people. And one of the parts of that training was actually revolving different personality types. So, just having that background knowledge of the different personality types uh, helps help me a lot. And another thing or like a, a lesson that was taught to me by that the same teacher was uh, when you're in a room, one of the things that can be a little bit blurred is the intention behind whatever comment or talk that is there. And oftentimes when we have passion around the product and we're in a room discussing it, um, Everyone is there because they have the intention to do something better for the company or maybe even the world, but, but to create progress. And sometimes we forget that I did at least. And, and now I always bring that sentence into a meeting that everyone does here have the intention of pushing us forward. So I guess that's two things. That's the one thing. Mm. The other thing that's, that has helped me is to really study different uh, personality types. So. One example could be if there's a person that really uh, requires preparation time. Like that could be your person uh, type that you that you don't like surprises, that you want to be able to prepare in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that had really helped me to identify those person type. And then I know uh, when I want to align myself on strategy, I can't like drop a bomb that, oh, we're doing a pivot. Sorry, I didn't tell you, but uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, that's what came to my, uh, my head. I have, yeah, I, w I would 
totally add I, my the light bulb really went off for me. I don't have a poker face, so that maybe is an adjustment of a communication <laughs> style right there, but it's quite genuine usually. So people are like, wow, she just has energy. Um, but I think three things come to mind. One is just knowing the culture and being aware of sort of how certain types of people like to communicate sort of the the mediums available in the company that are sort of implied. Um, a lot of these things are not written down, like we don't have meetings on Thursdays or we all communicate in a channel, but they're, they're explicit in how people actually end up valuing them in the transition. Um, so knowing the culture in advance, I think can set up for success. Um, knowing the mediums that you have access to knowing the people that you have access to and how they communicate right away. Um, I think the two bigger groups that stand out are like, obviously with executives, your communication has to be shorter, crisp, tighter, get to the point. Um, there's a book, I don't know if you've read like Barbara Minto, the Minto Principle, it's a management consultancy book, but she is one of the first female uh, management consultants when women were not allowed to pitch in McKinsey. Um, and she wrote a book basically that just, it sticks with me, like visualizing the story that you want told before you're even going to put anything on the slide. I have used that so many times when I might have defaulted to words or communicating, and it has just made that narrative so much crisper. Um, so yeah, I really think it's about people too, because you you don't have a lot of time often to to do the discovery, but it's so important because if you lose the trust, it's like, you're going to spend so much more time rebuilding it. Um, so yeah, I'd almost probably conduct some light discovery too, maybe as well internally to just ask people like, what do they need? But maybe not for the leadership team in that way that you'll have to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, my personal reflection has been regarding communication, like it becomes more and more important the larger the company is because it needs to be key you know, keep on repeating the information. But I've been a off late, I've become a sort of an anti-PPT sort of a person, and I've become a big fan of, and it's pretty much in a PayPal culture to actually write it down. And kind of, it helps quite a lot because when you start writing two pages and six pages, the clarity of thought and understanding becomes much more crisper. So um, what I really believe in is like, write it down and share it like, you know, if it's and create a culture of you know pulling the information rather than pushing when you have a push culture then you are essentially creating all these ppts for different people and you know trying to float it trying to tell the story when you have it written it down it's in some form and i'm not saying it has to be two pages six pages it could be a conference page whatever but i mean if as long as it's written it becomes much easier for everyone to critique it and to really understand it and to create like a high level summary and the details whatever, whatever medium you choose. But I, I've started believing a lot of a written form of communication is the best form of communication. And I, that's pretty much a personal view of it uh, because PPTs, they just take too much time. And as a product person, you have, you really need to figure out like where do you need to be spending your time. So a big fan of um, two pages and six pages. Um, yeah, cool. I, I like that you say that about writing things down. I think that's something that um, that I started doing in the like past year or two, and uh, and uh, I really like how it uh, emphasizes the content and and the story rather than um, the visualization. Because that that if you're not um, if you're not uh, comfortable in that, or if you haven't done a lot of slides, then like just just. Uh, the, the hurdle of, of making a slide look nice and professional, especially when you're seeing other exactly. people do super nice slides, exactly. can be like threatening, uh, and then it blocks you. So I, I really, uh, yeah, that really resonates with me. And uh, yeah, I think you're all making good points. And, and uh, I think um, I, I also, you know, what you said, like uh, trying to ask the audience, like what, what they're looking for. and and uh, how you're changing that to to if it's executives or leadership team or or even you know the board uh, i think uh, i think sometimes um, a more traditional communication style uh, works better for like uh, uh, top level executives uh, and then you can be more creative if it's to the team or internally which is a bit counterintuitive because you're actually 
it feels more uh, kind of developed to, to make the more creative and uh, forward uh, leaning way of communication that you use internally. Like it would make sense to use that to a leadership team, but, but we also kind of default to way more traditional uh, styles uh, in the leadership team, but then in the teams, it's way more fluid and, and fun. Um, so uh, I think it's like it's, it's con constantly evolving. I think um, remote for, for us has been a real challenge um, when, when it, with regards to communication. We also when we've had uh, not, not massive, but slight, you know, pivots in strategy and we might go from, you know, a heavy focus on ge geographic expansion and then we kind of pivot that to, okay, let's actually go deeper in existing markets. Um, if you can't uh, sit in a room and look people in the eye and, you know, draw on a whiteboard together, I think that that makes um, getting people on board uh, quite a lot harder. So I think that that's still something that I personally am trying to figure out how to uh, how to do communication well in a in a remote or hybrid world. Um, mm. What do you do uh, now, Alexander at Hitvi? How do you uh, have that visual collaboration or that? How do you make sure you're looking at the same things for something like strategy? How does it work today? Yeah, so so we have uh, a few artifacts or documents that are used like um, very very regularly so our um, product roadmap for example that's um, we have that in different levels of detail but there is a main one where we in the product organization and then uh, ultimately in the in in the R&D department which is tech and product uh, altogether um, and, and we always come back to the same uh, to the same roadmap so that we really kind of uh, make that into an uh, asynchronous uh, means of communicating the strategy and the, and the, and the road ahead. But uh, I think um, uh, you, can't, you can't repeat the story often enough. And I think that's, that's what a roadmap does like not so well is, is actually painting, you know, the nice picture around it. It, it quickly becomes just a list or, you know, a Gantt chart of, of epics and, and features, which doesn't tell a story at all. Um, so we try to use that, like standardize, like minimize uh, the, the, the different uh, means of of communicating that uh, strategy. Uh, so having like the same roadmap that we iterate on ra rather than trying to spring out versions of it and, and so on. Um, but it is tricky and, and we're definitely now in this hybrid uh, uh, world where some teams are very much in the office, some teams are very much remote, some are doing a bit of both. And um, the more complex problems that we're trying to solve, I think that the harder that that gets. Um, so uh, yeah, we we have we haven't found all the all the answers yet for sure. Christina, are you saying something? Sorry, uh, I think repetition <laughs> is key. I don't think you can say something enough. Oftentimes, like it just needs to be repeated, um, and the repetition can come from different mediums also. So I tend to not going so far into it, but treat the communication or anything I'm trying to scale out internally as a product itself. And the same exercise I go through in terms of how I would manage the product is sort of like, okay, my internal, maybe my users are now internal people and I have seven different profiles. Okay, who's the top priority? What data is supporting? Like, and I just sort of do it kind of quick. And then the output or the solution maybe is sort of the medium through which I've chosen to communicate. I also am the first person to raise my hand and say, I am not a management consultant. <laughs> I'm a PM and I love design because they make slides look amazing. Um, and so I bring the donuts in that way where I'm not afraid to raise my hand internally and talk to the person that was the management consultant and say, hey, um, these need to look like board ready or hey, this needs to look like that CEO in the language they need is going to know this, like help. Um, so going through a few rounds, even with that person internally to like that that style if i haven't worked in it before i found is like almost an ab test or you know a beta launch of the, mm. <laughs> of the communication um yeah and then it becomes easier and then i'm like oh i can't believe i made those slides all right okay let me go here <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that, that's funny we, we have we have a few i have a few of those internally as well that i that yeah. i uh, go to and uh it seems like uh, management consultants <laughs> who are no longer in management consulting still still love like getting pulled into slides. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of words on that slide. It's yeah. a gift. <laughs> but I think, yeah, 
I think I've seen some good examples that even on an executive level, not from not from this my current company, we're a small team, so that we have the I would say the blessing of I don't remember when we've used slides internally even. Uh, like we use uh, we present the software live uh, that we if we want feedback, for example, uh, if we um, when we prioritize features would be another example. It's not as much as sell, but we're actually using the roadmap. And that was another point I was thinking about. You can use it as much as a communication tool, as a prioritization tool is what has helped us mm -hmm. a lot. That that's the way, and we're using that to be very specific. We're using uh, Miro mm -hmm. for creating that visual uh, representation. And uh, we actually also introduced that in Almenibran, which is a 200 year old company and everything is uh, uh, Microsoft and no one was used to that, but we actually onboarded 400 people that was during Corona. So it was a, a specific need we had, but it was an untraditional visual tool and it actually helped a lot of teams. So so I, I, I want to uh, kind of uh, also make a note down for trying unconventional methods also uh, in traditional companies. Another example we had was uh, we used to do sprint reviews at Alminibran in uh, presentations like slide heavy. And what that, that does, in my experience at least, sometimes the feedback that comes there, if it's not really well facilitated, it can just be a lot of people kind of talking at the screen and the uh, highest paid person in the room will like take over the conversation, right? So we did quite a few things at Almenibran to kind of switch those dynamics in, that was in feedback situations, but if you're presenting slides, usually it's for feedback in some format, right? Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of things also like physical uh, exercises, but also on Miro that would kind of level off uh, who speaks when and how do we make sure that we get feedback from everybody in the room. And it was very unconventional, but it was so much more effective than when we just had uh, presentations um, with even and even with C-level executives, uh, they are also people. So they their brain works the same way. They respond to uh, different uh, game storming or liberating structure exercises as everyone else. So I just want to also throw that out there that to kind of uh, throw some curveballs uh, can work very well. It can also backfire, of course, mm. <laughs> but but I've seen it work very well also. Nice, some really great answers there. So we'll move now on um, to Stina's question. If Stina, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind your question and then we'll open it up to the group. Yes, um, so my question is around more of the, the growing specializations um, and in particular, um, different roles have different sub skills needed. Um, and it's often in product management, one of the, you know, there isn't a specialization. I think we're starting to get there, but similar to how marketing and design, you know, you have brand design or product design, graphic design, um, these all carry different meanings and different languages that are already assumed by the people coming in. But often in product, you have to sort of create an awareness that there are different languages and then also clarify how to translate them all. Um, and so I think it's an interesting one of like, how do you all sort of assess or, or figure out what skills that in the teams need to get better at or identify ones that you even want to professionally develop in? And is that uh, sort of a response to something that you intrinsically feel or is it sort of company driven and, and how do you balance that? Um, yeah, or help people feel empowered. I get that a lot also as, a, as an instructor, like my company, like you taught me this thing and it's going amazing, but my company is like doing this other thing, help. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> let's unpack that. <laughs> I can chime in um, with this. Um, PayPal has, I mean, uh, a pretty, really, really good framework when it comes to PM competencies. Kind of similar to, I don't know if you have read Ravi Mehta and like his framework of competencies. So essentially he talks about four core competency areas, which are product execution, customer insight, product strategy, influencing people and then they each one of them has like three or four different sub skill sets mm -hmm. and um, essentially the way uh, i mean it's very much context driven the skills you require uh, between different companies between different teams uh, between different products can be very very different but i think this sort of creates a, a great framework to start assessing your skill sets and one thing which we do is like to figure out 
okay, where you are within these different competency areas, where you are perhaps really, really good, perhaps you need improvement. Uh, we do that exercise together. I try to collect feedback from different people, for example, for the product lead. So I, am, uh, I have product leads um, who are reporting into me and then product leads have product managers reporting into them and we do the similar exercise across. It's just that the higher up you are in the chain, perhaps the more focus is more perhaps. So for example, if you are a PM, the focus is perhaps more on the execution part, while if you are a senior or principal PM, the focus is more on creating strategy for your product area and perhaps influencing people. But essentially the way we do is do a self-assessment, figure out where you are. Uh, the assessment is then accompanied by your manager assessing the skills, figuring out like then creating a plan of development, like how do you go about improving them? It could be getting you a mentor, getting you a course, uh, getting you a buddy, uh, things like that. So that's what that's how I have gone about it. And I, I would really recommend actually everyone to go through the uh, Ravi Mehta framework. I, I, I really like it. I mean, it kind of creates a good conversation starter, at least for me. Um, yeah, great point. And uh, I, I agree. I think uh, Ravi's frameworks are, uh, are really good and uh, yeah, can strongly recommend any Reforge course if you haven't if you haven't come to one. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean uh, I'm gonna speak from uh, from from uh, Hedvig's perspective, which is you know super early stage startup, uh, which I think can be quite different uh, in the uh, in the early days. I would say maybe for the first two years, um, I was the only uh, like product person, like dedicated product person. There were people doing you know taking on product management tasks uh, to to and it was a mix of you know designers and developers but uh, and now we've scaled to 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 a team of uh, of five product managers uh, currently um, and that happened quite organically i think um, uh, for for early stage startups uh, it's really you know the whole company is kind of uh, working as as one team in the beginning right so uh, you're kind of wearing the hat you need to wear, uh, which makes it that you need to be this jack of all trades as a PM. Um, and then I think for 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 us, we're currently in a place where uh, we're big enough to be split up across multiple teams, uh, but um, but we're still uh, small enough that like big projects affect multiple teams. So sometimes even if you're uh, the PM for a more kind of technical team, uh, more kind of a back backend infrastructure team. Uh, you still need to kind of uh, uh, work on things that are some are more purely growth driven, some are purely like retention uh, projects and so, some are more just kind of uh, infrastructure investments. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, that's fun and rewarding for like kind of entrepreneurial uh, kind of startup mindset uh, people. But I also see um uh, those in the team who are perhaps um more drawn to a bit more uh, kind of structure and stability uh want more uh, clearly defined uh what am i optimizing for and like these are my strengths these are my weaknesses so so i should play to my strengths and be in a role that that works with that uh, and perhaps not always uh uh, having as of an active growth mindset to also acquire like skills across the board. So I think that like the earlier you are, everyone is just like want to learn everything, want to do everything. And then as you grow, it gets more structured and people kind of, uh, I think what one thing is also that like the early, like the people from the early days might find that, oh, it's getting too much structure. Like that was one reason I left uh, Zettel actually was because I was, and that's a few years ago. So now it's an even bigger organization, but it got a bit too too rigid for me. And I want to like early and I wanted the chaos. And and now I'm a few years older. So now I don't mind uh, getting to a place, <laughs> a point in time with the company, which is a bit more structured. Um, but I think for, for early stage startup, it's almost like, uh, for me, at least like leading product, it's uh, like I would need to very actively like every three months or so like reevaluate, uh, okay, what, what challenges are we currently optimizing for? And uh, are people uh, then in this context still, are they having the right content, like the right uh, skill sets? Uh, should should certain people, you know, broaden their skill sets or should we hire in a new uh, competency that we don't have? Um, 
and I think that differs very much from from startup to startup or company to company. But it's definitely um, has to do with where in the journey of the company are you at. And I, I guess that's a segue could be to me at least because we're in that very early phase where I am exactly that uh, jack of all trade and try to, uh, of course, recognizing that it's impossible, but try to look in the future and say, where will we actually go? If I'm being honest, I don't have uh, like a good uh, answer for this, but I can kind of report from the the, the early stage uh, uh, startup what some of the, the, the challenges uh, that I uh, find there is that one thing is being the only product person. So what I'm trying to do is to put myself in situations like this, where I meet uh, product people uh, or yeah, uh, leaders in general. Um, and I think for me, that has been one of the things that helped me the most previously is to be very open uh, minded and meet a lot of people. And if I'm being honest, I have the, the best uh, courses and like career development things I did was quite random. Like I met some guy or worked at a project um, quite random and then it kind of took off. That's how it was for both actually for, for product management and uh, like meeting facilitation and archetypes and people. A lot of those things were being open to other people. So I know maybe it's a bit of uh, a cliche. Um, yeah, so for me, I, I think that's one of the, the hard things. Right now, it's actually the product that is defining what is the next thing to be better at. And that's of course, uh, when you're a smaller team, it's possible, uh, of course, for when you're in bigger organizations, you need to be way more structured. But right now for us, because things are moving so fast, it's actually kind of where the company is right now that that's, uh, that's defining uh, what's the next thing that uh, I need to, to level up in. Yeah, super valuable. I feel just hearing all of your different, uh, even the sizes of the company, I think I'm I've generally the last couple of years been in companies that have gone from everyone being the generalist to then you have to scale. And I think there's a level of product operations or support or evangelism that comes from that too. Like as you scale, you have to pivot the people from generalist to specialized also, which requires in some way a very strong people strategy. Like you need people with a sense of high agency, people who kind of know and can pivot um, and and also I think support and leadership who can say to those maybe generalists who don't wanna stop being a generalist, okay, stay there, but just do this thing over there, but five times bigger um, and can help you pivot or go. Um, yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting uh, for sure in because everyone would just love to have one PM role uh, <laughs> to point to and say, okay, this is exactly what it is. Uh, everybody clear, but it, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> and the ones who are okay with that generally are the ones who I see do uh, just incredible things in that mm -hmm. level of ambiguity. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Oh, nice. Love that. Um, well, yeah, we'll move on now to Simon's question. Um, so it's Simon, if you want to give um, a bit of details about your question and then I'll let everybody jump in. Sure thing. Um, yeah, so uh, once again, this is pretty much defined about where our company is uh, right now. Um, one of the things that uh, helped me earlier, uh, one of the skills that I that helped me a lot as a product manager was some of the skills I picked up when I uh, was doing uh, my design education. Um, and also just working with design and uh, having done a lot of uh, interviewing and a lot of different discovery uh, uh, tactics, also working with uh, not just qualitative, but a lot of quantitative data also on the studio, uh, on the education helped me uh, a bit. Um, and at Almini Brand, we had 400,000 customers for that was using the app that we were building. So our feedback loops, and we had also uh, quite a bit of uh, like insurance is and uh, it's a it's a good business. So and it was a big company and a really uh, established company. So we had big budgets and could do quite a lot of powerful things in our feedback uh, loops. But right now at Pantry, we are focusing on pivoting a little bit to a new segment. So we have 
few uses within that segment. So we're building it up and I'm trying to kind of rethink, not rethink completely, but build up the, some continuous discovery habits, uh, better feedback loops uh, here in the company. Uh, and that's one of the things that's, for, first of all, one other thing I think is a key skill is to be able to build that thing, to build that feedback loop. Um, but I'm curious about how you guys go about it. I think it's rare to have a collection of uh, so good product people in one uh, room. So that's one of the key skills I find, but I'm curious uh, about how, uh, how have you built uh, your continuous discovery habits and how are you working with that, your companies? Hmm. Yeah, I can uh, I can uh, jump on this one. I think uh, it, it I'm also um, a lot of what you're saying resonates with like the early days from from uh, from Hedvig and uh, we were uh, we were very early in the kind of uh, insure tech wave of uh, and, and just to give some context, Hedvig is a competitor to the big insurance companies. So we actually offer uh, similar insurance products like home insurance, which is the uh, like home content insurance, which 98% of the Swedish population has. Like that was our first product. And now we just launched car insurance. And so we're really con con uh, competing head to head with the uh, uh, Hildebrands of, of, of the world. Um, and um, I think uh, I think what we some of the things we did in the early days was just like being insanely uh, like uh, obsessed with uh, getting feedback on everything. Uh, it was um, like we, we had a first uh, idea, of course, of, of like what will people, how will people use this and what will they like and dislike, etc. But but really being like extremely uh, close to the first, you know, hundred or so users of, of the product. And uh, the ways uh, in which we did that was really like uh, I mean, the first six months, it was like, I think on a weekly basis, we did uh, in-office uh, user tests uh, where people came to the office. And now you could, of course, do this remotely, but people were actually like uh, doing the onboarding in front of us. And we were, you know, 10 people looking over their shoulders and seeing where they got stuck and what, where they had questions and uh, all like all the way down to details, like specific copy uh, in in different parts of the onboarding or like positioning of things, and really going very deep uh, and and focused. Um, and uh, that was for us to kind of uh, let's say like iterate and clean up the, the the MVP, like the first version of what we launched. Um, and then as that got a bit kind of um, that that we we started reaching some form of product market fit with the original product, and we we noticed earlier on that we should target these like younger people and first time insured and students. So we really went like uh, uh, we we tailored the experience to them and the copy to to like a young audience. Um, and then these uh, test sessions they 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 became almost like a both culture building for for the company, but also uh, brand building. We had like a pizza nights uh, a couple of times a month where people could come and, and have beer and and, uh, and, and eat pizza, uh, a non-alcoholic beer for the record. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had like different rooms. Uh, so like one room was the onboarding room, one was the like, uh, like experimental features room. And we had like prototypes. We did it super hands-on, like rolling up our sleeves, taking notes, and then like when people like the guests left, we we all gathered in the room and just like um, compared notes and and really did like super super deep uh, insights work all together in the team. Um, and that we could do that when we were that small. Like it's a very uh, special time when you're super early. Uh, and then of course as you grow. You, you kind of start getting more more and more like flesh to the bone and you, you like some things are being repeated over and over like okay at, in the beginning we were we were uh, you had to download an app to sign up for Hedvig and then like more and more people and we were saw, seeing like how people were uh, falling off uh, in the funnel when you like Google Hedvig but then you have to download an app to sign up and it was like of course uh, not doing uh, so so well for for our growth so we uh, like we got a lot of um uh yeah we we, we got a lot of like um, uh, proof points that we should build for example a web onboarding which might sound very basic but in the early days it's like 
uh, really uh, like being super close and then as as you grow it will just like the volume of insights and, and and incoming feedback will just will just grow and and you will then be able to start categorizing but you need to kind of kickstart it uh, is my my experience uh, especially when you're that early uh, and uh, and uh, a product person in, in that like phase uh, to, to me uh, is more of a you know researcher than uh, than anything else yeah I was I, I came forward after I listened to a really interesting uh, webinar about scaling, especially in hypergrowth. But I think what you're describing is like, it's, I think the customer discovery or the continuous discovery is not just for product people. Like we benefit the most, but it's a company-wide need. Like everyone at some point is going to gather feedback or touch the customer or user in some way in what they're getting. And then you end up developing these little silos almost of what you take or interpret as that information when it could be used to create a feedback loop. So in the early days, maybe you have one customer support person and you can literally just go over and talk to them and be like, let me pull all the things that someone said. But as you scale, then it's about scaling that as a system of making sure that you're able to normalize that data. And that's the piece I think is gonna be really interesting also in the next couple of years is like, how do you build a way to automate a lot of that taxonomy and the ways that we gather in, which is like, you know, and then, evaluate that against maybe the thousand small customers relative to like the really, really big ones who are equally as important. Um, and I think that really also starts with company values. Like the leadership team has to be customer focused for this to work. And it needs to be drilled in repeatedly, whether that's like every all hands, there is someone that is talking about something that the customer did or, um, but it will be quite hard to build it from the ground up uh, in the scale that you wanted to if, if that buy-in doesn't happen. And in order to get that buy-in, I think you have to just, there is a gut sense that you have when strategy comes out of like something about that feels like something like you, it's a spidey sense almost as a PM, like you're looking through it, everything checks off all the bullets and you're like, something is off. Um, and that one thing is where I drill more into the data until you can make a case to support. And if you get a couple of those where you can buy into leadership and say, hey, let's just try this as an experiment it can build momentum if you don't have the top layer that's sort of brought in. Um, but I would imagine all of us are very values-driven PMs. So the if we're if we're not in places where maybe people are are super brought in on the customer voice, it's probably a bigger tension that we feel. But um, but yeah, I would I would definitely suggest almost running small little experiments to gain buy-in and then showing the value of like concrete examples of the business value that it brings back to. Um, and slowly but surely, hopefully that brings it along. Um, yeah, but it's it's also about the what's the most important thing you need to learn. It's a risk mitigation, whatever you want to call it, whatever people feel more comfortable with. Like it's yeah, it, it just needs to happen. Um, <laughs> like period. <laughs> we must keep talking to the customers. <clears throat> Yeah, I believe it becomes a, a slightly big, bigger challenge when you start working in a, when the company is scaling or it's a large company, that's where it becomes a big challenge because when you have a pre-market, I mean, when you're in a phase where you don't have a market fit or you've just got a market fit, you know, you really, really know your customer. You're really focused on the details and like what the pain points are. But as soon as you start scaling, that's when it becomes starkly challenging because, you know, then you are shielded away. You're sitting in some corner a bit far from the uh, perhaps from the customers and that's where that's i really believe that the continuous discovery is one of the most important muscle which a company needs to develop and a really good point Stina, you made is like it's not just the product which benefits from it it's everyone um but i, I always say that there are so many good places to start from i mean if you're a slightly larger company for example in b2b look at your crm data look at the lost deals Talk to your customer support, talk to marketing. Like, who are you targeting? I mean, I've seen so many times marketing targeting a totally different persona compared to what product is building. So, I mean, sometimes it's just talking to internally before you go out and talk to the customers will also help because people have a lot more context. Um, but I, I really believe like developing that muscle, um, what Simon you mentioned, that is so important. Uh, you know, how do you recruit your customers? How often do you talk to them? That's a, that's a very important muscle to build. And 
if you have got some seed money or if you have if you have got some money hiring user research is highly valuable because you can be as good as a pm but the skills which a user a researcher will bring in is uh, beyond uh, one's comprehension is how i would add yeah and i was watching uh, a presentation from tv satoris wrote the the book uh, one of the books on continuous discovery and he was mentioning the the automation of um recruit recruiting recruiting automation of recruiting interviews and that was one of the things that i really also found uh, found uh, interesting and one of the things that i think we will work with because business to business for me is that's that's one of the the challenges i think uh, is that uh, we do have i think we have like 800 customers on the platform or something now so it's so we do have uh, customers but having those continuous interviews you're gonna uh, burn through fast and how do we also creating uh, representative data. When I had uh, 100,000 users, uh, uh, what was that, a week or a month even, no, no problem, right? It was easy to spot the trends. So it's one of the things that I'm, we haven't tackled it uh, head on yet, but that's one of the things that uh, um, I'm looking at. But I'm really, really like the, the culture building observation. Uh, I think it makes, makes a lot of, it, it's, it's an opportunity, it could be an opportunity, right? They could support the brand to be really uh, inclusive. Uh, I really like that. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, uh, yeah. Nice. We'll move um, on to the final question now then. Um, so this is Akalash's question. Um, again, last but not least, uh, if you'd like to give your question and then we'll open it up to the group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did touch upon that a little bit before. I wanted to just ask, like, how do you go about developing uh, you know, skill sets of product managers. I touched upon a bit around Ravi Mehta's framework, which I use, but it's always interesting to hear different perspectives on it. Like, hey, you have different product managers, they want to improve their skill sets. Like, how do you go about it? Um, would love to hear your inputs on that. I think, um, I think I really liked the way you highlighted with before in your, your answer about having that structure, having sort of a baseline that you establish of how do we define what product management is at this company? Um, and I think without having that explicit conversation, you can interpret it in various ways and then get really upset that your expectation of what you think PM is, is like not what PM is because you haven't clarified. So I think starting if it's values in some way or, or if there's principles, whatever the, the team structure is, this is how we do product essentially and having that known and then also evaluating individually and in a group kind of like what those strengths and weaknesses are or opportunities relative um, to grow. I think is really important um, and having those frequent conversations, building a habit of feedback, a culture of feedback, um, getting really strong at disagreeing and committing used to be a value at a company that I worked at. And I love that because you cannot agree with something, but still be willing to move forward. Um, but, but how do you make sure that in a team you can find ways to give constructive feedback, I think is, is something that people really are not as great you know they don't want to offend people maybe or they don't want to have the conflict um and coming from new york i can tell you that's not a <laughs> mailing that taxi and that no <laughs> um but it's different culturally too i feel that's something i i learned working in you know international startups even people have very different levels of which they approach their career of which they approach boundaries of which they approach all of their ways of working. So I think as much as you can have that conversation up front to set the tone, I think it will be much easier um, ongoing. Yeah, it is kind of where I would start probably. Mm. Yeah, good point. I think for, for, for me, um, uh, I, I think just like getting to know the PM uh, and like really understand who, who they are as people, what motivates them, and um, what 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 uh, what do they like? What kind of PMs do do, do they want to become? Because uh, I think um, to the way I I see like the most growth in PMs is when someone is getting uh, like slightly too too large shoes uh, to fill, uh, but um, it's kind of. Uh, in in a direction that they they themselves want to grow and and where kind of me as a product leader uh, also sees them growing into um, and then being like a support and and making sure that uh, that that the PM feels like it's okay to fail uh, and and mm -hmm. 
I think that that's um, when I've seen that work really well. Uh, you can have PMs who are like they become quite fearless because they're like they know that they're getting like too big shoes to fill. Uh, but then they also feel like okay, but it's also okay to fail. So so I think like then they almost become like greater than themselves, and that kind of um, evolves them into you know just a, just a more senior and more experienced uh, PM. Um, and uh, I think that that's uh, what I when I was coming up as a PM at at Settle, uh, I, I got that uh, a similar opportunity to take on like a, a big team and a new product line, uh, but as a completely unseasoned PM and uh, it worked well for me. So, so I think uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to create similar opportunities for, for PMs in my team, because uh, uh, I, I really enjoy that way of kind of, uh, yeah. And then you can always, you know, just create bigger and bigger challenges and people just keep growing. Yeah. So I obviously don't manage a big PM team here at, the, at Pantry. Uh, at Anmeli Brand, though, I was managing the US user experience and service designers, and they were doing more PM work than I think many uh, PMs are out there. Uh, they were, that was really kind of the role they had in their teams. They were all in cross-functional uh, teams. Um, and one of the things that really, not only PM specific, but what we did there was we created quite a strong culture within the, the discipline of UX and service design. And we started to learn from each other. So when we had our weekly uh, meetings, if we had had it on a Friday and kind of made sure that it was also uh, uh, sometimes with a Friday bar, but we always had like an inspirational uh, section of our uh, meeting. And this was all remote, uh, by the way, where everyone would bring like what inspired you during the week. That is maybe a very practical thing, but the concept behind it is utilizing everyone's like the hive mind everyone's uh, common skills and their interests because sometimes it could just be someone that heard about something and i'm speaking a little bit about like uh, random things again like they heard something random they bring it to the table and the discussion sort of clicks you see ah uh, that's uh, what we really find interesting all of us um, and what we would also do is we had uh, presentations so like one person finds something really interesting, they come and give a, a presentation about it. It requires that you have in, an engaged team, but especially I think if you are managing from different products, uh, like a, a host of product managers, bringing them together and creating that community and then benefiting from everyone's uh, interests and what they are uh, learning. For, for me, that was at least a really good way to quickly spread uh, knowledge and, and get everyone's skills uh, better. Yeah, I would plus one that I was part of a team dynamics where we would have a product school monthly and then we would all pick sort of a different topic and then someone would have to put a presentation together. The whole team would come. We also had um, in informal sort of coffee chats where the head of product would bring in um, CPOs from other companies that were doing really interesting things and we could just have them for like a half hour and ask them really cool questions, things that you know, we wouldn't be able to ask them directly and that would just get the wheels going, um, which was like invaluable uh, because it was low lift, but it, you know, it stuck with you sort of how they, how they thought about things. Nice. We'll go ahead and um, end the podcast there unless anybody's got any final comments just before we go. Lovely. Well, I just want to say thank you for everyone that's um, that's joined us today and thank you to everyone that's still listening as well. 